here with you. Um, I am a, a student ministries pastor at Soteria Church uh, in West Des Moines. Um, been there on staff um, for about a year and a half. Uh, started attending there when I was in college. Um, and I consider it a privilege to get uh, to share God's word with you this morning. Would you join me in praying for God's blessing? Father, it is a joyous time to celebrate Christmas. Father, we love the time with our families. We love the time uh, to just look back on goodness. We love to be able to show our love for family and friends by exchanging gifts. Father, we also pause each Christmas and focus on the love that you demonstrated by sending your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus coming to earth, God with us. Lord, and the blessing that is. I pray that you would help us to put push pause on all of the distractions and help us to focus on what your word has to teach us today. God, your word is powerful to change lives, and we ask you to change hearts and lives today through your spirit using your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, I know it's a Baptist church, not a Catholic church, but I do believe there are times when confession is good for the soul. So I need, by raise of hands, everyone who has not completed all of their Christmas shopping, including stocking stuffers, to please raise your hand. I see a couple ladies and men. I was expecting just to see guys. How many people still need to finish wrapping some of their presents? I'm in that boat right there. Uh, I'm going to have to, we have an unfinished part of our basement where all of our junk collects that my wife calls my office. <laughs> so I need to, to go down to my office at some point in the next couple of days and do some wrapping of presents. How many people, is anybody in this boat waiting for a package to arrive that you ordered online and hoping it gets here in time? Yes. Oh, that is a nerve-wracking feeling, right? Because there's nothing worse than sending a gift that doesn't arrive at the right time. Uh, in my wife's family, my wife has two older brothers, and they all have lives. Uh, whenever it's time to exchange gifts, if they don't bring a gift or we don't have a gift, the joke in her family is, well, it's in the mail. Your, your gift is in the mail. That can mean... Either it truly is in the mail or they haven't got around to buying it yet. But it's really important when we give a gift, not just to give the right gift, but that it's given at the right time. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4. And we're going to look at a passage that sometimes is considered a Christmas passage, sometimes not. But the idea here is that God sent the perfect gifts at the perfect time to complete his perfect plan. And that's our big idea this morning. As you walk away from church today, resuming your normal Christmas activities, and you look back on this morning's message and remember one thing, I want you to remember this. God sent the perfect gifts at the perfect time to complete his perfect plan. And in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, Paul is writing to the Galatian church. The Galatians loved the Lord, but they had gotten off track a little bit. You see, the Galatians trusted in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, but then they allowed some false teaching to creep in. And this false teaching went something like this. Yeah, 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 we're all saved by grace through faith, but if you really want to please God, if you really want to be approved by God, then you need to obey the Old Testament law. It doesn't matter what you've heard from the apostles. We're telling you this. 
obey God's law. Go back to the Old Testament. Go back to the Old Covenant. Embrace all those laws. Keep God's laws, and then God will really love you. Then God will really accept you. And Paul uses strong language to combat that, that false teaching. He, re, he comes back in the book of Galatians over and over and over again. It says, no, it's not because of your own righteousness that you're accepted by God. It's because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. No, you don't have to keep the law. You are set free. You are not under law, but you are under grace. And in fact, the Christian life isn't by working really hard. It's by living the Christian life by faith in the Son of God. Because the same grace that saves you is the same grace that sanctifies you or makes you more like Jesus. And so he gets to Galatians 4, and he is talking about the idea of being slaves and sons. And he says in verse 1 of Galatians 4, I mean that the heir, meaning somebody who inherits something as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way also, we, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Paul says, until we get the full rights of sons, our life doesn't look much different than that of a slave. The person, let's say you live in a wealthy home, but as long as you're a child, you have people overseeing you, not allowing you to enjoy the riches that are coming your way. Paul says in verse 3, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. Before we were adopted into God's family, we, we were more like slaves than like sons. We were, we were buried. We were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And it's that backdrop which Paul gives us this beautiful passage on what we are given at Christmas, what we are given by God. So there's two gifts we see here. I, I, full transparency, I was preparing for this morning's message uh, over the course of this week, and I was like trying to, to find the key passage in the t or the key point of the text, the main idea. And I had to adjust my main idea because as we look, there are actually two gifts God gives his children, his sons, in these verses. The first one is this, God sent his son. Look at verses 4 and 5. Galatians 4, 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. God sent his Son, Jesus Christ. And he came at the right time. Look at that in verse 4, the first part. When the fullness of time had come. Why? Was that the right time for God to send his son, Jesus Christ? We can look at both history and at scripture and see that God has sovereignly been orchestrating all of history to bring his son to earth at the specific time he did. You see, the Romans at this time had conquered so much of the known world that there was actually a time of Roman peace. There were still revolts. There were still rebellions taking place. But because of the the term if you're studying history is the Pax Romana or Roman peace because of the Roman peace you had clear roads you had some somewhat settled civilization you had yes the Jews were under Roman control but the, by and large they got to practice their religion the way they wanted to 
You also had Greek influence. So you had a common Greek language. You could travel almost anywhere in the world and be able to converse with other people. And that allowed the gospel to spread quickly. And Greek culture, culture broke down barriers. You also had the Gentiles, people who did not grow up worshiping Jehovah God. You had the Gentiles who were growing tired of their pagan religions, their pagan mythology. And they were looking for something better. And you had the Jews who had lived their whole life under the law. And while the law was completely righteous, the Jews weren't. And the more they tried to keep the law, the more they realized they couldn't. The law was just like a mirror which showed the Jews their sin, showed their imperfections. This morning, I woke up and looked at the mirror and said, oh, no, I'm preaching. I better shave and had to get all my whiskers taken care of. The mirror showed me my imperfections. And the law, being completely righteous, showed the Jews their imperfections. And they realized we cannot reach God through our own law-keeping, through our own merit. And it's in the light of all of that, the Pax Romana, the common Greek language, the readiness that both Jews and Gentiles had religiously, that's when Christ came. He came at the right time. Because we have a God who does not respond or react to circumstances. We have a God who sovereignly orchestrates all of time towards a purpose. See, history isn't just chance. We've heard the phrase, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it, or we talk about history being a circular. But when we believe in the Bible, when we trust a sovereign God, we realize that all of history is linear. It's moving towards something. God is sovereignly working. And that's why God sent Jesus and he came at the right time. And we also see from these verses that Jesus is the only Savior. Only Jesus could be this person to change history and to offer salvation to the world. In verse 4, it says, When the fullness of time had come, God, and this is a very important wording, sent forth his Son. Sent forth his Son. It does not say he created his Son. It does not say that he started this ministry of the Son. It said he sent forth. Our Savior had to be 100% God. In order to bridge the gap between perfect God and sinful humanity, we needed a Savior who was 100% God. We, and these verses like this show us that Jesus Christ didn't, he wasn't created on Christmas, the first Christmas day. God the Son has always ex existed eternally with God the Father. And before the creation of the world, uh, you're going through Ephesians chapter 1 in Sunday school. Before the foundations of the world, God predestined to send forth his Son. This has always been part of God's plan, to send his Son, Jesus Christ. God sent forth his Son, so Jesus had to be 100% God. But he also needed to be 100% human, and that's why it says, born of woman. In order to be the perfect sacrifice for sin, Jesus needed to be 100% God. But he also needed to be 100% human. He had to be like the people he was representing. And as it says in the book of Hebrews, yet without sin. But Christ was 100% human. I can't believe that Jesus came to earth as a baby. We think of the baby in the manger, but do you, can you imagine? I, I'm raising a daughter, a toddler. Jesus was a toddler, yet without sin. That's, that blows my mind, because I have a toddler, but she is definitely with sin. 
her favorite phrase right now is, I don't want to. But Jesus Christ was a toddler at one point. Jesus Christ was a teenager at one point. Jesus Christ was fully human. He experienced all of the emotions that we do as people, yet without sin. Born, born of woman, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully human. And it says also, born under the law. Jesus didn't come to earth and then live by a separate set of rules than the other people he was living with. Jesus was born under the law. The difference between Jesus and all of the Jews in his day is Jesus perfectly kept the law. But it wasn't just that he perfectly kept the law, but he took the punishment that all the lawbreakers deserved. Jesus bore the punishment that breaking the law comes with. You see, to be under the law means the law has authority over you. And we see throughout scripture that there is eternal consequences for breaking God's law. We look at the Ten Commandments. If you ever have somebody that says, I'm a basically good person, let's just say, hey, would you agree with me that the Ten Commandments are a good thing? Now, as we live in an increasingly post-Christian culture, they might not know the Ten Commandments, so you have to go through them. Have you ever stolen anything? Well, nothing big. That's not the question. Have you ever stolen anything? Well, sure, I, you know, I did this. Okay, so what is it? somebody who steals called? A thief. Have you ever looked at, you're talking to another guy, have you ever looked at a woman in the wrong way? Well, yeah. Well, does that make you? Well, a pervert or an adulterer. Okay, so by your own admission, you're a thief and an adulterer. And then you can go through the Ten Commandments, and before you realize it, all of us fall short of God's law. Every single person who has lived on this earth has sinned, except for one person, and that is the God-man, Jesus Christ, born under the law, but he kept the law. And then he suffered and died on behalf of those of us who broke God's law. The punishment that we deserved as lawbreakers, Christ took in our place. He's the only Savior, and Jesus frees us from bondage. Look at verse 5. This is where we get the purpose for why Jesus came. Because Jesus is a fairly popular figure, even in the year 2018. Some people use the person of Jesus as justification for basically anything. Any political view, any view of culture, any worldview, they can hold up Jesus as their, as their poster boy. And they don't give Jesus the respect that he's deser he deserves. But we're going to let scripture teach us why Jesus came. He wasn't just somebody who believed in something so much that he was willing to die for it. He wasn't just a great teacher. He was the God-man savior of the world who set us free from God's law. Look at verse 5. This is why Jesus came. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. To redeem those who are under the law. As lawbreakers, we were slaves to sin. We were slaves to our own desires. Jesus redeemed us. He bought us off the slave market of sin. The sin which is breaking God's law says to redeem those who are under the law. See, all of us were born slaves to our sinful desires. All of us deserve to be separated from God forever. It doesn't matter how religious we are. It does not matter how nice and compliant we were as kids growing up. All of us 
are lawbreakers. And all of us, without the saving work of Jesus Christ applied to us, we are lawbreakers and we are slaves to sin. But Jesus Christ came, God sent his son to redeem us because Jesus paid the price that we couldn't. When Jesus spilled his perfect blood on Mount Calvary, he paid for the sins of mankind in full. And he didn't just die for the sins committed by people in this room. He died, didn't just die for the sins of the people committed in the, the city of Des Moines or in the state of Iowa or in the United States or even in the entire world right now, but every single sin committed by every single person at every moment in history was put on one person at one moment of time. And Jesus Christ paid for it. That's why Jesus could cry out on the cross, it is finished. Everything needed for sinful humanity to have a relationship with perfect deity, with God himself, that payment was made by Jesus. He took the punishment so that we don't have to be punished. Isn't that amazing? We can be accepted by God because only perfect people can live in the presence of a perfect God. And as one of the seventh graders I was doing a Bible with, Bible study with a couple of years ago, he, we, I, we were going through the book The Stranger on the Road to Emmaus, and it drives home that point that only perfect people can live in the presence of a perfect God. And Aaron throws up his arms and goes, well, nobody's perfect. And I go, exactly, Aaron. So how are you and me who are imperfect, how are we going to get perfection? It's not going to come from us in our own efforts. It has to be come from somewhere else. The reformers called that alien righteousness, meaning it comes from outside of us. And it has to be Jesus Christ's righteousness applied to our account. Because when Jesus was on the cross, he made a trade. I'm a sports fan, and so there's been some questionable trades in history before. Most of them committed by teams I root for, apparently, namely the Minnesota Vikings. And there's some trades that leave your head scratching. And if we didn't understand from what the understanding God gives us through his spirit and his word, we'd look at the trade that Jesus made on the cross and scratch our heads. So Jesus took my sin, and he gives me his righteousness in place. How is that an even trade? And that's what grace is. Grace is receiving something we don't deserve. And when Christ offers us his righteousness in exchange for our sin, he makes a way for us to be freed slaves. But it goes one step further. It says to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Christ doesn't just save us and leave us as freed slaves. He then adopts us into God's family. Now we have a 2018 a 21st century idea of adoption. And adoption in 2018 is beautiful and wonderful. Our youth group is filled with children who have been adopted by Christian families. The word religion gets a bad rap these days, and rightly so. Um, but there is a religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, James 1.27, to visit widows and orphans in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. Christians... I'm going to step outside of the pulpit real quick. If we're going to be pro-life as Christians, we need to not just be advocate for the unborn, but we need to be people who adopt. And we need to be passionate about that. And adoption in the year 2018 is a good and right thing. It meant something a little bit different when Paul was writing Galatians. Because in the book of Galatians, only in that time frame, in that culture, only the firstborn son received an inheritance. 
Now, me, I am a firstborn son, so I'm okay with that. But if you're, how many here are not the firstborn son in their family? Whether you're a daughter or second or third or fourth or fifthborn son. If you're a firstborn son, you would receive an adoption, an inheritance. But if you're the secondborn son, sorry, pal, you're out of luck. <laughs> but what God does is he gives us the full rights as a son of God. When somebody was adopted in, in that culture in the first century, when they were adopted, they said, all right, all of the benefits that come from being a firstborn son are applied to you. You get them. And that's amazing. Our pastor, uh, Mike Augsburger, he and his wife struggled with conceiving a child for a long time. And I remember when I was a freshman uh, in college, nine years ago, they met a girl who was 14 who was pregnant. Um, the girl chose not to abort and chose to give birth. But they walked alongside her in her entire pregnancy. She lived about an hour and a half north of Des Moines. And upon giving birth, Mike and Liz were able to adopt their son, Elijah. And then a, a few years later, they were able to adopt their son, Judah. And then God, in his be beautiful goodness and kindness, after 12 years of infertility, uh, were able to conceive and have a daughter, Zoe, who's Molly's best friend, if you talk to my daughter. Who's your best friend? Zoe. She loves Zoe. But uh, each year, Mike and Liz take their boys out, and they always get uh, frozen yogurt and celebrate their, they call it their gotcha day, the day they were adopted. And they have pictures of being, it's one of the best times to be in the courthouse because it's actually a happy occasion during an adoption. And because they're adopted, those boys have the full rights as if they were born biologically to Mike and Liz. Full rights as sons. You and I are born God's enemies. We are born outside of God's family. No one is born a Christian. Just because your parents are Christians does not make you a Christian. All of us are born outside of God's family as slaves. Slaves to our sinful desires, condemned under the law, because none of us can keep the law. But when Christ saves us, he frees us from our slavery and then places us in God's family. And as we talked about in Sunday school this morning, David, one of the signs that you are a part of God's family, that you have an inheritance coming to you, is he gives you his Holy Spirit. We have full rights as sons of God because of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. So God sent the Son. But the second gift, if we're looking at the text, is that God sent the Spirit. Look at verses 6 and 7. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We have the Spirit of God living inside of us. I am so thankful that God doesn't just save me and say, okay, Jared, go figure it out. Just go figure that Christian life out. You got this. Just, just do your best. No, he says, I'm giving you my spirit to convict you of sin, to help you to appropriate and obey the truths of scripture, to give you the boldness to share the gospel with other people. We have the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse six, because you are sons, the fact that, the indwelling spirit is inside of us. That shows that we're, it's a benefit of being God's sons. It says, 
because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son. Where? Into our hearts. And then it says, crying, Abba, Father. The indwelling spirit enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. That word Abba is a sign of intimacy. It's been incorrectly um, tried to connect with our word daddy, but it's more dear father. It still shows reverence, but not it doesn't show infancy like a little kid yelling daddy. It shows intimacy. Like when I call my dad and say, dad, how are you? I can call my dad for basically any reason. I'm 28 years old, and if I have trouble with my car, I still call my dad. Or if I get in an accident, I remember a couple years ago, I'm, I've been out of my parents' home for years, and I still called my dad. Um, a couple years ago, I got married, and now I have a father-in-law. I don't call him dad, because I think that's kind of weird. Some people call their fathers-in-law dad, and I think that's great. Maybe it comes with more time, but he's more than just his first name, so I call my father-in-law Pops. It's my way to show him I care about him and that he's close to me. But we get to call the creator of the universe, the sovereign ruler of all of history, who's been working all of history towards a purpose. We get to call that sovereign ruler, dad, dear father. We get to cry out, Abba, father. The Holy Spirit enables us to do that. Abba is the same word that Jesus used when praying to his father in the garden of Gethsemane. Just a few hours before Jesus Christ would be arrested, walked through the most ridiculously corrupt trial, and hung on the cross for our sins, he prayed this. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. When did Jesus address his father as Abba? It wasn't when his life was going really well. It was when he was agonizing over the prospect of dying for the sins of the world. During moments of suffering, Christ cried out to his father, Abba, dear father. You and I, as we live this Christian life, it is filled with times of pain and suffering. And we're tempted to think that we're alone to have to figure this out. In those moments, we can cry out, Abba, Father. And the reason we can do that is because we have the Spirit of God's Son, the Holy Spirit living inside of us. There are times when my daughter cries out, Dad, that I don't want to come to her. There were there was a night this week where she she's she can whine and you know parents you know the whine versus the cry. Uh, our daughter's bedroom is right next to ours and we and I hear dad in the middle of the night. And usually I I'm dead to the world when I'm sleeping my wife hears everything. But I heard that that cry for dad and I go in and she is like trembling because she had a bad dream, a scary one by the sounds of it. What, what motivated me to go help my daughter? I wasn't getting paid to do it. <laughs> we know that, right, parents? Kids are expensive. It wasn't a, even a sense of duty. 
there's times I get up in the middle of the night and it's out of a sense of duty. All right, I got to do this. But when I heard my daughter cry and the way she cried, I came running to her because I love her because she's my daughter. No matter how much she disobeys me, no matter how much she's running my wife and I through the ringer, I love her. And when I hear that cry for dad, I come. We have a father who loves us. If Jesus said, if we as dads can give good gifts to our children, doesn't our Heavenly Father give way better gifts? We have a father who cares about us. Because of Jesus coming to the earth and dying for us, and because he's freed us from slavery and made us sons, because he's put the Holy Spirit inside of our hearts, we can cry out, Abba, Father. Not just when times are really good, but when times are really tough. When there's pain and suffering. And there's pain and suffering that comes with Christmas season. I talked with a, a man in our church last Sunday and asked him how he's doing. And he's a fairly positive guy. And he just said, well, this is the first Christmas without my wife. And it's going to be hard. It's in those moments we can cry out, Abba, Father. I appreciate a quote uh, by Pastor Tim Keller. He says this. The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. I love that. The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. And we have that kind of access. We can go to God whatever time of day, whatever we need. We can run to our Heavenly Father. And yes, he is the king of the universe. But because he is our heavenly father, our dear father, our Abba father, we can go to him. So the question today is this. As we look on this Christmas message, it is a warming, encouraging passage of scripture. To know that God sent the gift of his son and the gift of his spirit for us. To redeem us from slavery and to make his sons. But the question we have to answer the question you have to answer from this passage is this. Are you a slave or are you a son? If someone were to look on your life and the way you interact with God, are you a slave or a son? A slave is required to do things. And the slave knows that their relationship is based on effort and on merit. Paul was imploring the Galatians, look, you've been saved from your sin. You've been saved from the condemnation comes from having to, or from breaking God's law. Don't go back and act like slaves. Instead, you are sons. A son obeys not out of duty, but out of delight. A son obeys because he loves his dad. And knows there's nothing he can do to make his father love him any more or any less. Because no, no matter what, he's a son. Are you a slave or a son? And if you are a son, do you run to your heavenly father at a moment's, just any moment, and cry out, Abba, Father? You have that access to the king of the universe because of the work of his son, Jesus Christ. Live in light of the reality that you enjoy an intimate relationship with the God of the universe. If you're a slave, God's word tells you to repent of your sin and your self-righteousness. Turn in faith towards God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, who is fully God 
fully human and fully righteous. And Jesus bore the punishment for your sin when you broke God's law. Receive the forgiveness that comes by fully trusting in Christ's work on your behalf and enter into the new father-son relationship that's offered to everyone who believes in the name of Jesus. Our big idea this morning, we'll leave it with you one more time, is this. God sent the perfect gifts at the perfect time to complete his perfect plan to turn slaves into sons. Let's pray. Father, we deserve to be separated from you. We deserve to be enslaved to our sinful desires and to be separated from you forever. But instead, you sent your son at the, when the fullness of time had come, at the perfect time, you sent your son, fully God, fully human, fully righteous, to free us from our bondage and to adopt us into your family. And then you didn't just leave us hanging and have to figure out the Christian life on our own. You, spent this, you sent the spirit of your son into our hearts. And that spirit enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. Lord, help us to live in the reality that if we're tr we've trusted in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins, we have you as our Father. And we can cry out to you, Abba, Father, at any time. And you hear us. And you're going to work in us to make us look and act and be more like your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, may that hope push us forth this Christmas season. May we be renewed in our minds and in our hearts today from what your words taught us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.